Grieve, love, heal. You can't do them alone. We all lose people we love, so let's talk about it. I'm Angela Melvin. My mother died when I was 10 years old, and that's why I started Valerie's House. It's a safe place in Southwest Florida for children who've lost someone they love. Join us as we explore how to grieve, love, and heal together. Hi everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Grieve, Love, Heal. Before we get into the episode, we wanted to remind you that rating and reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts and following it on Spotify really helps it reach more people. Our goal with the podcast is to reach people who are grieving so they know they're not alone and they can hear stories from other people who may be going through similar things or at least experiencing similar feelings. So the more reviews and ratings it gets, the better our chances of reaching those people. Thank you so much, and please enjoy the episode. Hello, this is Alexa with Valerie's House. I hope you're doing well and staying safe and healthy. On today's episode, I'm so looking forward to speaking with our first of hopefully many grief experts. She's here to talk about her role at Valerie's House, how she found herself in a grief-based career, and how to help people who are grieving, which may even include yourself. Without further ado, here's licensed clinical social worker, certified school social work specialist, and much, much more, Amy Strom. Amy, can you start us off by telling us about yourself? So um, my title at Valerie's House is now the Director of Partnerships and Clinical Support. Um, And so what that means is that I'm working to help build connections within the community to help keep our mission going and help supporting what we do for all of our families and working with the individual counseling part that we do and making sure that everything that we do meets all of the ethical guidelines for providing excellent service to our families. Awesome. And how long have you been part of the Valerie's House team now? I started volunteering four years ago, um, and I started with one group. I worked with the Littles, and before I knew it, I was um, volunteering a few nights a week and then um, kind of was on speed dial for when someone called out to be the volunteer of choice to come in and help provide support for families. And it just really kind of took over my heart. And so I was here and finally sat down one day with Angela and said, tell me a little bit more about this position. I think this might be something that I'm interested in. How long ago is that then? Um, It'll be three years. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. It's Um, kind of amazing how these families take your heart. Oh, yeah. I feel the same way because, as you know, I started as a volunteer and then I was like, I need to get in on this. <laughs> this yeah. is <laughs> Yeah, it is. It really the, the mission really does move you and seeing the difference that you can make for our families is so important to me. Um, and and I think to everyone who works on our team. And so that also makes it so fulfilling. Definitely. I know that you've worked um, as a social worker for a large part of your career now. What kind of started, what made you realize you wanted to go into social work? 
Well, I guess I knew I always wanted to work with children and families. It's kind of been a passion since I was young. Um, my dad was a social worker, and so he was always working to help families, and that always became part of our family was helping and volunteering and do different things as we were growing up. So I knew that that was something that was important to me that I wanted to continue. And so um, wasn't quite sure whether I wanted to go, as I said, into education um, or into social work. And when I got into college, I wound up being in psychology and um, went straight through and got my master's in social work and worked, um, found myself working in schools and in private practices and nonprofits for a long time and eventually went back and did education as well and got my master's in special education because um, I felt like they fit so well together and working with so many kids who have special needs um, in social work or families struggled figuring out schools and language and terminology that um, it would be a great asset for me to be able to help families that I was working with. Yeah, wow. So then you were working as a teacher for some time as well, right? Yeah, I did teach um, and counsel for um, a school um, and kind of had a dual role. So yeah, and worked also as a um, social worker in um, not only an autism preschool, and then as those kids grew up, we increased that, that classroom to K through three by the time I left, and then also worked in a what they would now call a behavioral disorder classroom. So for kids who had extreme trauma often in their lives that resulted in their behaviors becoming problematic. And so um, I was fortunate enough to work in a school district that wanted to keep those kids in the school and not um, remove them and have them go somewhere else. And so we worked on um, supplementing and supporting them within their classroom so that they could stay and be successful. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, as you explain that, it's those degree, I totally see what you mean about them going hand in hand very well together. It's very yeah. cool. Could you explain a little bit about how curriculum is developed for the grief activities that our groups are doing all the way from, you know, littles up to the caregiver groups? Yeah, so I think, you know, again, it speaks to the background that I have both in education and in social work as we look to writing those activities and being able to differentiate them based on um, children's abilities, their age, their knowledge base. So we look at grief theory, both Walfolds and Warnin, and we look at the, the tasks that they have theoretically to help um, our families walk through their grief journey. And so a lot of our activities focus on continuing bonds, focusing on their memories with their loved ones, focusing on self-esteem, focusing on hope for the future, and focusing on their coping skills, coping skills that actually are productive that they can utilize anywhere. So whether they're in a classroom or whether they're at home, those tools that they learn will help them be able to adjust to any trigger that may come up for them or adjust to helping them, at least at that moment, cope in a way that they feel is supportive for them. Do you feel like you made the decision to kind of focus on grief specifically in your work? Or did you just kind of find yourself going that direction? I think I found myself going in that direction. I think when you 
are working with families and um, grief affects everyone. And so most of the families or most of the situations, there was some impact of grief when there was trauma, whether it was loss from an early age or whether it was um, loss or separation from situations or houses or family members. And so I think that when we look at grief, it's a part of our normal everyday life um, in some regards. You know, even if we look now today at COVID, we have a grief of what our normal life used to be compared to what it is today. Um, so I think as clinicians, we look at, you know, grief being part of learning to adapt to situations that come into our lives. And so I think that I've always kind of worked with that, but really found myself when I found Valerie's house, focusing on grief and spending a lot more time on learning about the theories and the research that's been done in this area. Kind of related to that, did you experience any significant loss or losses in your life that you feel like helps you kind of connect with the kids more or that made you want to start volunteering with Valerie's house? I would have to say I am fortunate that both of my parents are still alive. I have lost all of my grandparents and aunts and uncles and my in-laws. And so there have been significant people in my life who have died and who have created that sense of loss for me. And I think what's important when we talk about grief or loss is also to, to recognize and learn from the kids and the families that we meet with. And so as I meet with the in the groups with the families, I learn from them daily about what they are experiencing and how I can then feel as if I can be supportive to them. I feel like I'm in a bit of a similar boat because I'm very fortunate to have both my parents, um, I, you know, my siblings. I did um, experience the death of a friend of mine when I was in middle school, which again, you know, is very different. Obviously, not somebody in my home that was right there. It didn't change my day to day life per se. But it was that kind of first um, realization when you're kind of young, that like, oh, yeah, like this can happen super unexpectedly. And it happens to everybody like it was an accident. No one saw it coming. So just that shock. So I'm curious for anyone who may have found the podcast or Valerie's house because someone they know has experienced a really significant death. What are some things that you think people should know about grief? I think first what I would say is that for you just to be there to listen, you know, and it's really important to recognize that nobody's losses are the same. No two losses are the same. Nobody's losses are. And we don't, it's important that we don't compare them. You know, one loss is not more significant than another. Um, because in that person's perception, it is significant. And so we want to ensure that people are recognizing that. We also want to make sure that we don't use, I guess, those stereotypical sayings. You know, I learn from the kids all the time, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry. And the kids will say to me, well, what did you do? Why are you sorry? I don't want people to feel sorry for me. 
Um, and so, you know, that is kind of the coined phrase in our society when you hear that someone um, has lost someone. And for so many of our families, it's not empathetic to them. It's more sympathetic. And they really want, you know, someone to listen who's empathetic, who can stand with them in their journey. So I think one of the things that we can say that's most helpful to families would just be that I'm here for you. Let's talk about it. You know, people don't want to not talk about their person um, just because they've died. And it's important that we are comfortable with that. We're comfortable saying, you know, I remember this or this was such a funny time and it will bring joy to them. You know, they're already thinking about their person by not talking about them. You're not creating this space that they may not be thinking about them. They're thinking about them every day and they're sad about them every day, but they're also happy moments about their people every day that they remember. Yeah. That's um, in particular, the like not mentioning their person is still something. I don't know why, but as someone who had not directly experienced that kind of loss, I I'm just like, yeah, you don't bring it up, right? Like, that's not something we talk about. So it, I've been learning a lot about like, oh, no, it doesn't mean people don't want to talk about it. It's just that like, it's not very normal, um, you know, in the world for us to talk about loss. It's still such a taboo topic and can make everybody kind of uncomfortable, which is another right. reason I think Valerie's house is so great that um, these kids and families have somewhere to go where it's not weird and quiet and everyone's uncomfortable and just feels bad or not good about talking about it. So. Right. And I agree with you. I think, unfortunately, we don't talk about it enough um, in our society and people, because we don't talk about it enough, don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. And so when we tend not to know what to say or not to know what to do, we tend to back away. But then that sends people a different message that we don't care or we're not interested. Um, and I don't think that's really what people intend, but that's what really happens. And so uh, what we hear from our families and our kids is that, again, it's more isolating for them after they lose. So not only do they lose a parent or a sibling, but now they've lost friends because they don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. So I guess on the flip side of this, if someone themselves who hears this has recently experienced a loss Um, what sort of things would you recommend they do to take care of themselves? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think the thing that I would recommend is just to listen to yourself, listen to your heart, listen to your body. You know, there may be days where you need to stay in bed. There may be days when um, you just want to cry all day, but there also may be a day when you just feel like going out and having a good time or talking with a friend, and all of those things are okay. There is no right or wrong way to grieve. You have to really listen to what your body is telling you to do. My favorite rule here at Valerie's house is it's okay to feel, because that's also very interesting. Again, I'm still learning that there's so many different emotions. It's not just like the crying, the loneliness you may kind of expect to associate with a grief center and a grief support group. But there, you know, there's happiness when we think about some of these memories. And sometimes there's guilt, which can be really complicated. So all those emotions are okay and allowing yourself to feel those emotions. Because if you bottle it all up, that's not good for you. Right, exactly. I mean, I talk a a lot to the kids about it kind of being like a volcano, and it's gonna erupt, you know, and we want to have it erupt in a way 
that you can handle and that isn't scary to you or others. So if you can begin to feel them or begin to identify what those feelings are and learn the words and learn how your body feels with it, then you can learn to deal with those emotions. How would you say, and I know this may be a ton of different ways, but um, as someone without any clinical knowledge about grief at all, how does children's grief differ from adults? Well, I think you already have some knowledge because you're already identifying that children grieve differently than adults. And, <laughs> and that's very true. And I think oftentimes what happens is adults think that children grieve the same way that they do, and they don't. Um, and it's so important that we um, help our parents or our caregivers learn how children grieve. They just don't sometimes have that understanding that they grieve differently or that they feel differently. And so when we look at kind of our younger kids, it makes sense that they have higher levels of separation, whether that looks for so many more like a distress um, or an anxiety about being apart. And they really miss that person. You know, they were, depending on how young they were, you know, toddlers or little ones, they were probably dependent on that caregiver for so many things. And so not understanding that that person is gone, the finality of that, because of their developmental age, they um, don't kind of have that abstract thinking and think that death is impermanence. And unfortunately, in our society, there are a lot of things that go against that, you know, we have cartoons where cartoon characters die, and then the next minute, they're back away alive. And in the next episode, or even in video games, you know, you get 10 lives. Um, well, that doesn't really happen in real life. So they have to learn that and come on to that understanding. And when we look at adolescence, it's more of um, what we see is that there's more of that identity kind of questioning or what their future is going to be like, you know, questions like maybe why did this happen to me? Maybe what is my future now going to be like without this person? Can I still achieve those same goals? Can I be happy without them? So there's more of that focus on the future for them and how it's going to impact them because they have a better understanding of that. And when we look at adolescent development, it is about their identity and it is about figuring out who you are at that point. So if you unfortunately lose by the death of someone who's so important in your life, of course, that's going to make that um, normal developmental challenge even that much more difficult. Mm, can imagine. Um, is there anything else you think we should touch on that's related to this? I don't know. I think, I mean, that was good. What else do we want to talk about? I thought um, you were fantastic. Oh, thanks. I'm like, I'm not quite sure that I hit what you wanted, but. No, totally. This is awesome. Um, like I said, I want to come sit in your death and dying class. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's it's so interesting because death is so, I mean, death and grief is such a part of our life. And and even as a, as a clinician, I didn't really learn about grief. Like there wasn't a class when I was going to school about death or dying or grief and how impactful that can be in someone's life. And so now being able to teach that to new professionals is so is going to be so inspiring and helpful to a new generation of clinicians who will be able to integrate that knowledge into their practice. And um, I think it will be so much more helpful to all of 
to our community and to the world to have these professionals who understand it, who understand grief, to understand the effects it has on development and how they can be such a nurturing, supportive part of the growth process for children and adults Mm -hmm. alike. Yeah, it it gives me a lot of hope because it feels like so much of this is still so new. Um, I feel like we're still hearing a lot and seeing a lot of firsts in this field. Like the death and dying class is still kind of like crazy. Like Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the books, um, I mean, a lot of the adults we talk to, whether volunteers or um, maybe they're a caregiver now, a grieving child, but they also lost a parent when they were growing up or whatever it may be. You hear a lot of, you know, I wish this were around when I was a kid. We just never talked about it. Right. Um, So, yeah, that makes me feel hopeful for the future that it's becoming more talked about. And I think I agree with you. I mean, that's exactly why, you know, Angela founded Valerie's house, you know, really wasn't um, talked about. There weren't places to normalize for all of, for her, for her sister, for all the other kids who experienced the death of a parent at a young age, a while back in time that, to have the help and support that they needed. It often just got, you will survive or they, or they wound up having other adverse childhood experiences that impacted their future. And for some, it was negative. And how sad that such a normal part of our life can have such a negative, debilitating, lasting effect on someone's outcome. And so um, when I think about the work that we do at Valerie's house, It just makes me so grateful that I get to be a part of hoping that we don't have children that go down that road alone and don't have the support that they need. That we together collectively, staff, volunteers, other families, and as well as our community, um, really wrap around all these families and help support them. Yeah, I think that's great. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm sure I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. You're listening to the Grieve, Love, Heal podcast produced by Valerie's House. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram so you can be notified when we post a new podcast. If you know of a child who's grieving and in need of support, visit our referral page on our website, www.valeriesshouse.org.